0: First John 2, 15 to 27, please follow along as I read. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour, and as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, so that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. And is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you. Abide in Him. I've entitled this message "What Children Should Avoid." When I say children, I'm speaking about all of us as believers. John addresses all of the believers that he's writing to as little children. You can tell a good father in. The fact that a good father will provide a certain amount of security for his children. They'll keep them safe. Not just even physical security, but relational security. A good father will communicate to his children that he loves them and he will always love them. They can be secure and know and count on the stability of his love. But That's not the only thing that makes a good father or even a good parent. Warning children also makes a good parent, and even cleaning companies know that children should be warned and kept away from things, like their products. Keep out of the reach of children. That's a good thing. There are certain things that children must understand that they shouldn't do, shouldn't engage in, and so John's doing this for us, for believers, for children of God, in this passage, he's warning us to stay away from a couple of things. Now, I want you to see and remember what this passage before us this morning follows after. Go back to 2.12. Remember this, this, this communication from John where he wants you to know. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he wants you to know how secure you are. You know God. Listen to 2.12-14. to 14. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who's from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who's from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you've overcome the evil one. Do you see how he's working so hard to give believers in Christ a certain assurance of where they stand with God? That is a gift of God, assurances. And he's writing to communicate you are safe with the Father, you know the Father, you're an overcomer of the evil one, you're his child. And then, what does a good father do after communicating security and love? Well, he tells his child what to avoid. Because that is an act of love as well. So in this passage, we have two prohibitions for the child of God. Two things that we are to steer clear of. They are love of the world and second, new teaching. Love of the world and new teaching. We find out the reasons why we should avoid them as the passage continues. But let's look first at the first prohibition for for the child of God. Love of the world. This is found in 2, 15, and 17. He's going to exhort them. He's going to say, do not love the world. Then he's going to show them what love of the world looks like. And then he's going to show them the reasons not to love the world. So he does this full teaching as to not just don't love the world, but here's what it looks like to love the world, and here's why you shouldn't. It's the first prohibition, do not love the world. And it's interesting, we've been now in this Book for a few weeks now, and two fifteen we find the first command in the book. <clears throat> and that should teach us something. From one one to two fourteen, John's been trying to communicate our security, uh, our our permanence in abiding with the Father. We are loved by him. We can be assured of our salvation. That is his purpose statement that he states in chapter 5, verse 13. He's been communicating over and over again in a number of different ways the security that we have. Now, he gives us our first command. And you could say it this way. Because you're secure in the Father's love, because you are going to heaven, because you will be with him in the new heavens and the new earth, because he's your Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, your brother, as it were, because all of these things are true and you're not going anywhere, because of all that, Don't love the world. Don't love the world. Verse 15, do you not love the world or the things in the world? Now, just so we're clear, this isn't God telling us to hate people in the world. After all, he himself, John writes us in his gospel, he himself loves the world and gave his only son for the world. And we're thankful for that because that was what we were a part of. So he loves the people of the world and has given the gospel as a means to their rescue. So this isn't saying, hey, Christian, you hate everyone out there. It's not what it's doing. God himself loves the world. This is a call for us to hate the organized system of Satan that has captivated this world. The organized system that is in rebellion against God. That is what we hate. Not the people trapped in it, because that's what we once were, but we hate the overall system brought about by God's enemy that has such control over this world. John Stott said it this way, we love the people of the world for redemptive purposes, not for the purposes of our own participation, (laughs) So we have a certain love for the world because we want it to be redeemed, but it's not a love that is wanting to participate in this rebellion against God. So the command is don't love that rebellion. Don't love the world in that sense. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Maybe a more clear way to say that is anyone, if anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in him. Right here, John is telling us that you've got to make a decision. This isn't, I love God the Father, and I just want to take a little bit of world with me. Now, I mostly love you, Father, but but, but I want a little bit of this. It's an all or nothing. Pastor Josh read a little bit earlier, no man can serve two masters. He will love one and hate the other. It doesn't say no man can serve two masters. He can have 51% on one side and 49 on the other side. That's okay. No no man can love two masters. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in him. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desire of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. He fleshes out what it means to love the world. And he gives us Three categories, if you will, for what love of the world looks like. First, it's the desires of the flesh. The cravings that all people, including us at one time, were born with. The cravings of the world. Self-centeredness, pride, lust, anger, all the things that come naturally to us that we pursue. Those are the cravings of the world that he's telling us, you avoid those things. Christians have new desires. The children of God have new desires. It's no longer themselves that they live for, but it's him and others. It's no longer laziness and a lack of work that they live for. It's trying to produce and be worthwhile to society and to God's kingdom. So there's, there's a new way to live. And the old way to live, the desires of the world, or love for the world, is embodied by desires of the flesh worldly cravings. Secondly, he talks about the desires of the eyes, the temptations that come to us specifically through seeing things, through the eyes. You think of Eve staring at what was forbidden. And did that lead to success for her? No, it didn't. It led to her downfall and Adam's and yours and mine. So that desire that the eyes stare at, knowing things are forbidden by God for our good, but we don't believe him. We actually think they will be for our good, and so we stare at them, and we're lured into a greater desire for them. You think of Achan. Remember the story of Achan. Why did he steal and take, confiscate what he was not allowed to take? Because he says that he saw a particular robe that he wanted, a certain valuable thing that he wanted that God had said not to take. But he stared at it, wanted it, thought about it, and fell into sin. David, staring at Bathsheba, someone who was not his but belonged to someone else, stares at her, lets the desire of the eyes bring him into temptation, and he fails. Robert Law, one writer on this passage, said, this is the desire of the eyes. This is the love of beauty divorced from the love of goodness. I don't know if, I don't know what kind of fruit it was that Eve was looking at. The, the popular consensus is apple, but just to have fun, I'll say, no, it was a peach, okay? I don't know what Eve was looking at. Let's say it was a peach, the, the most perfect peach. It's not that a peach in and of itself is bad, but when God forbids it for a particular reason, it's bad. And so law says it's, It's looking at beauty, something beautiful, but without goodness accompanied with it. We are to enjoy God's good gifts, but we're not to let them become temptations or idols to us. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Don't pursue... Seeking to make yourself impressive. The pride of life. Boasting in what you have or what you do. Standing in a group of people and just waiting to try to insert something about how great you are. Now, you all don't do that. People from California do stuff like that, not you. <laughs> but we are so for ourselves naturally, so wanting to be impressive naturally. And when we become Christians, God puts inside of us a new way, a new way. We want to live and love and deny ourselves, take up our cross. But still that old man, that old person, that old flesh still hangs on sometimes. So that's why he's saying here, don't do that anymore. You actually have the power not to do that now, that the Spirit indwells you. Don't exist for yourself and your own popularity. Exist to bring glory to God to serve him, to make him known. So if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And here's what love of the world looks like. Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he says these things, second part of verse 16, are not from the Father. God doesn't put in you sinful desires of the flesh. He does not put in you sinful desires of the eyes. He does not put in you this desire to boast and make much of yourself. God doesn't put that in you. This is not from the Father. This is from the world. The world world is full of self-promoters, self-satisfiers, people engaged in getting the most, getting the best, getting what they want. But God our Father is by nature A selfless and giving God. And so it's understandable that his children, when they're born of him, spiritually changed, they would then become selfless, givers, lovers of others, benevolent, looking out for the interests of others. It's just common sense. If the Holy Spirit of God, the powerful Holy Spirit of God changes you, you will look like the Father. He gives us another reason as Christians not to love the world. Verse 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires. It's going away. You're impressed by something that's dying when your father is the father of life and eternity. You are majoring on the temporary when your father has offered you joy in the eternal. The world's passing away. The accolades that you so want will mean nothing in a few minutes. I want this award. I want this accomplishment. In two minutes, no one will remember that. It won't last. The porn industry is passing away. It is going to be dead one day, destroyed. Why be enamored with it? and go down the drain with it. Your wealth portfolio, my wealth portfolio, will go down the drain. It will not matter how many thousands of dollars we had, millions of dollars we had. It's all passing away. Your social media followers are all passing away. It's all gonna be gone in a couple of minutes. God offers us joy in eternal things. It's not that God takes things that we want away from us. He just offers us better. Things not filled with sin. Things that mean something. Things that we will enjoy together eternally. This world is passing away with its desires. Don't be enamored by it. Don't love it. Don't be committed to it. And then he gives this. As he's talking about the world passing away, he then says, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Whoever lives According to what God desires, by God's grace, whoever lives that way is characteristic of the one who will live forever with God. There are so many joyful endeavors to pursue that will have an eternal impact. There are so many relationships to enjoy that will have an eternal impact. Engage in those things this isn't just saying, hey, take all those good things you want from the world and just don't want them and just kind of sit there and wait. No, our God is a God of joy who gives us good gifts. We saw that as we studied Ecclesiastes, didn't we? It seemed like every week Solomon was telling us to enjoy the gifts that God's given us. Enjoy them, but don't make them your grand pursuit, don't make them your idol. Don't turn something good like money, praise the Lord, what a gift money is. Don't turn that into your new God, your sole pursuit. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. I think a good prayer to pray in light of this passage. Now, and again, I want to remind you, this is a passage written to believers. A lot of times we think, do not love the world, and we think, I'm, I'm going to tell my neighbor that. I'm going to tell my unbelieving nephew that. Well, you can tell them that, but this is actually written to believers. Now that you're a child of God and you see things rightly, don't pursue the things that are going away. Don't pursue the things that don't last. Don't pursue the things that grab a hold of your heart or can. Don't pursue those things. I think a good prayer in light of this is, Father, give me heart desires for things that are exciting about your kingdom. Give me a desire to know people and to introduce them to you. Give me a desire to have a family for your glory. Give me a desire to have good things seen in light of your kingdom. Not just give me desires for things to point to my success or to give me happiness because of what they are in and of themselves. Give me a desire to live according to your will, to see my money through the lens of your will, to see my time through the lens of your will to see my personality through the lens of your will, what you want from me, my friends, my family, my vocation, my retirement, my grandchildren. Let me see those things in light of your kingdom. So the first prohibition for the child of God is do not love the world. Do not become enamored by what is passing away. Do not become enamored by what is sinful and hostile to God. James 4, four. Friendship with the world is enmity toward God. Friendship with the world is, is hatred toward God, and that's speaking of our hatred. <laughs> you seek to be a friend to the world, it is an act of hatred toward God. That's what James says. I was thinking of questions, heart questions. We go through that, we understand what he's saying now. What questions could we ask of our heart that can reflect maybe a love of the world that can get in? Um, How do I know that I'm loving the world? When I wanna pursue a career, that's not a bad thing. How do I know that's love for the world or that's not love for the world? I think there's often kind of heart surgery that has to be done? I, am I wanting this for the right reasons? That's a good question to ask. Why do I want this? Well, to give glory to God. No, okay, I know you say that. I know I say that. But in reality, what does God see? If God were to answer that question, why do I want this career? God, what do you see in my heart? To make much of yourself. To, to show off and have articles written about you, whatever it may be. Or no, No, you want to do this because I've given you a certain mind and abilities and you want to use those to bring me glory. So what would God say about your desires for the things out there? Another question could be, do your pursuits, career, relationships, goals, do your pursuits keep you from Christian responsibilities, from responsibilities that God has given his children? Do your pursuits keep you from regularly assembling with God's people? It may be that the pursuits are off, that the heart is off. Do your pursuits keep you from not just regularly on Sunday gathering with God's people, but there's, a, there's an expectation that we would be in each other's lives throughout the week. Do your pursuits keep you from that? I'm too busy for church. I'm too busy for other Christians. Do your pursuits keep you from rightly functioning in your family? Well, I just, I just can't be the mom or dad that I'm supposed to be right now because I'm pursuing this or that. Well, it might mean that pursuing this or that is out of place. Do pursuits keep you from Christian responsibilities that God's given you? Do your pursuits keep you from generosity with your resources? I'm not talking about just money there. Time, spiritual gifts. God has given you the ability to be a blessing to others but I'm too busy. I'm really trying to make partner. Well it might mean that the priorities are off. You'll have to ask yourself those questions and ask the Holy Spirit to guide your heart there. But it's worth asking because sometimes we we think of do not love the world and we just think of all of the sinful things. Oh overtly sinful. Of course I don't want to love that. But love of the world can also be love for things that, in and of themselves, aren't inherently sinful. Relationships, money, those aren't, in and of themselves, sinful. But the drive to have those, to where we will keep ourselves from normal Christian living to get them, there's a love for the world. So be careful of that, child of God. Second prohibition for the child of God new teaching. Keep out of the way of children. Keep away of ch- from children. Children of God should be kept away from new teaching. We don't need new teaching as Christians. We need apostolic teaching, which comes from God Himself, as He commissioned those apostles to be the foundation for our faith, Jesus Christ Himself being the cornerstone of that foundation. We do not need new teaching. And Paul or sorry John writes this to these troubled Christians because they've been they've had people leave their churches. And these people that have left their churches are characterized by a lack of love and bad theology. And these people still have a voice. They may still be coming over to the people who remain's houses for dinners. They may still be writing them letters. Listen to us. We've got a better way than what you've been learning from John. We know God rightly. John hasn't been teaching you rightly. And John's saying, do not listen to these people. Verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. The last hour is... From when Jesus ascended to heaven to when he returns again. That means us now, right now, 2023, we are in the last hour. And when they received this letter, they were also in the last hour. And what would be true of the last hour? Not only false Christs, people claiming to be the Savior, would come, and we've seen that all through human history, but also people who come and teach false things about Christ himself would be coming. So Jesus said that that would happen. John himself is saying, you can tell it's the last hour because we have people opposed to Christ trying to woo you toward their teaching. Children, it's the last hour, and you've heard that Antichrist is coming. There is a certain Antichrist, capital A, that is coming to the world. He's called the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians 2. But John's not so much focused on him as the spirit of that person which is around us all over the place, even in Prescott. I know you retired and you came here and you thought it was the promised land, but the spirit of Antichrist is in Prescott. Children, it's the last hour, and as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. Spirit of Antichrist is here. There's a hostility toward Christ. There's a lying about him and who he is that we need to avoid. Verse 19, they, this departed group, I told you you can't understand the book of 1 John without understanding the shadow of these departed people that have left. This departed group, John overtly addresses them. He's addressing his people, but he's talking about them overtly here. They, the departed, went out from us, but they were not of us. Now right then, You're one of the 50 who still remain at this church. 500 have left. They're telling you you're in the wrong. They truly know God. And you're like, maybe they're onto something here. I I don't know where I stand. And John's writing saying, no, no, no. You know him. You've had your sins forgiven. You are strong. You're the overcomer. They, they went out from us, but they were not of us. Now you might say right then and there, but they were of us. They were at the membership meeting. They gathered with us weekly. They were of us. No, no, no. They went out from us, but they were not of us. In all actuality, they might have been physically present with you, but they were not part of you. Now, this isn't talking about people who leave a church for any reason. They're people that leave for good reasons. This is talking about a group of people that no longer embraced, no longer embraced the apostles' teaching, God's teaching about his own son, And they clearly had not been changed by him because they did not love the way God's children love. So they went out from us, and they were never really one of us, is what John's saying. They went out from us, but were not of us. For if they would have been with us, you know how you would have known if they would have been of us? They would have continued with us. They would have continued in the Christian faith. They would have remained with us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, and now this is so interesting, so that it might become plain that they are not all of us. It's as if God has a hand in the fact that they have departed the faith so that it becomes clear as to who they really are. They went out so that it would become plain that they are not of us. When people leave the Christian faith, you could say from this passage, they never actually were in it. If they were, they would have remained. But God sometimes allows that departure to happen in real time and space so that we see they departed, they were never of us, to bring clarity to us as to who they are and who we are. That's what this is saying. Again, Stott, behind their departure, was a divine purpose. It brings clarity. Now these aren't just people that left the Christian faith, left the church. These are people who are still trying to have influence with the church they left. They're still trying to influence. We'll see that in a little bit. But notice he's talked about the departed and then he says in verse 20 this strong contrast. But you... You that remain, you 50 that haven't left, but you've been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. There was a heresy that these departed people engaged in the first century. It was called Gnosticism. They were the knowing ones. And so John's saying, they left, they were never of us. You are the knowing ones. You know God. You've been anointed by the Holy One. That's a term for the Holy Spirit. And what you take all that's come before this passage in Scripture from Genesis 1-1 till now, what a statement when it says you have been, you've been anointed by the Holy One. When you think of being anointed by the Spirit, you think of Samuel, the greatest prophet next to Moses in Old Testament Israel, the greatest judge, if you will, of Israel. You think of the Holy One anointing someone. You think of King David. You think of the Holy One anointing someone You think of Jesus coming up out of the Jordan at his baptism and the Holy Spirit anointing him. When you're anointed by the Holy Spirit, you are set apart for something special. You have God dwelling in you so that you would live out his purposes. John is saying to believers in Jesus Christ, they've left, they didn't embrace, or they didn't continue with the apostles' teaching, which is God's teaching. They lied about who Jesus is, You've stayed and you've been anointed by the Holy One. It is staggering to me to think that the privilege that Samuel had and the privilege that David had is the same privilege that you and I have as believers. God inside of us to live his life through us, to fulfill his purposes. That's what John is telling Christians. This is striking. You've been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. This doesn't mean that when you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, you all of a sudden get straight A's. Oh my goodness. I don't even have to study. I just, I just know everything. It's not what he's talking about. How's knowledge used in 1 John? You know God, you've got a relationship with Him based on truth. You know that Jesus came as eternal God in eternity past, He came to earth demonstrating who God is. And what did he demonstrate to us? Oh my goodness, God is loving and merciful. Oh my goodness, God punished his sin and he punished my sin on Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness, God is a God of life. He can create life with just his voice. He speaks and it comes to life. His son died, he put him to death in our place and then he raised him up again. You know God by knowing the eternal God, Jesus Christ. You know him. So when the Holy Spirit anoints you, you understand your salvation, your relationship with God based on what God says is true. He offered his son, the only Savior for the world, the only one. There's no other way. He offered his son, and you embraced him, and the Holy Spirit now dwells in you. You don't need anyone to teach you about what you need to be right with God. You've already got it, you've got the knowledge. There's no more truth to find. You've been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth but because you do know it and because no lies of the truth. That's his way of saying don't listen to them anymore. You know the truth. You're right with God. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. These departed people were lying about the character of Jesus Christ, who he is, who he actually is. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. When you lie about Jesus, when other religions that are around today, you walk around the courthouse square, they are out there. When they lie about Jesus, they are denying not just Jesus, the actual Jesus, they're denying Him and they're denying the Father. They're denying both. Whoever confesses the Son, And the implication is rightly, whoever rightly confesses Jesus as the Son of God has the Father also. It's a package deal. You believe the right thing about Jesus, you've got God the Father. You don't believe the right thing about Jesus, you're saying, God the Father, you're wrong. This isn't who Jesus is. And then you don't have God the Father. That's why in verse 24 he gives this exhortation. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. That's John's way of saying, hey, what Peter told you, what I told you, what the apostles told you, which is what God told us to tell you, our testimony, you keep hanging on to that. You do not need new truth. You hold on to what we've told you. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, remains in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. You hold on to the apostles' teaching about Jesus Christ, which Jesus Christ himself said that he would give them the understanding to then teach to others. You hold on to the right teaching about Jesus that comes from the apostles. You, you hold on to that, then you've got the Son and you've got the Father. You are in the right with God. You are in the family of God. And this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. That's why in John 17, 3, he says that here's what eternal life is. And we're thinking, oh man, is he going to draw a timeline? Is John going to draw us a timeline like, you know, beginning of everything, end of everything? Oh, here's eternal life. No, no, no. Here's eternal life. That they know you and the one you sent. This is Jesus praying it to the Father. Eternal life is they know God and they know me. We come together. Package deal. When they know us rightly, when they know me rightly, Jesus could be saying, they know you rightly. Eternal life is that you know on peaceful terms God the Father and his Son Jesus Christ, and you are forever loved. That's eternal life. You start making up things about Jesus, you don't know the real Jesus, and therefore you don't know the Father, is the argument here. Verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. There are people trying to deceive you from believing what God has revealed about Jesus Christ. There are heresies today. Jesus was a created being. He wasn't always with God. That's a huge problem. Because God has said that he has always loved his son. Always. Not, oh, starting 2,000 years ago, he all of a sudden loves this one. He's always been a God of love. He's always loved the Son. The Son has always loved the Father. But there are heresies denying the truth about Jesus. Jesus only appeared to be a man. Well, the beauty of the fact that Jesus is actually a man is that he understands us in our humanity. He didn't just appear to be a man. He was. He understand everything just like he understands what we go through. Hebrews 4 teaches us that. He's a high priest that understands his people. He can pray to the Father knowing what we're going through. That that comforts us. You start taking that away, you take away the beauty of the Christian faith. These things are crucial. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you've received from him remains in you, abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Here's one of the beautiful promises of the new covenant. We call ourselves a new covenant people. The old covenant people of God had the Ten Commandments given, which were beautiful commandments. They demonstrate love, the heart of God, beautiful. But they didn't come with the ability to obey them. The new covenant comes with God himself inside of us, changing us from the inside out so that we see those commandments and we say, I want that. I want to obey that. I love God. I love his people. And that is our new way of life. That's the new covenant. The new covenant comes with the Holy Spirit of God inside of us. We obey from the inside out. And this is what's commanded. So when he says, verse 27, but the anointing that you've received, the Holy Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit that you've received, when the anointing that you receive abides in you, you have no need that anyone should teach you. Back in the prophet Jeremiah's day, the the new covenant hadn't arrived yet, but Jeremiah talked about it. Oh, one day there's going to be a relationship that comes. One day the Holy Spirit of God is going to be given to all of his people So that no one needs to say, hey, come, let me teach you about God. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you know your God. You know him. That's what John says when he says, you don't need anyone to teach you. Now, now don't all get up and go to the aisles and walk out saying, well, then what are you doing here? (laughs) He's talking about new revelation that someone needs to truly have a relationship with God. You don't need that. God has given you the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You know who he is, and you know that you're his. You know that. You don't need anyone to teach you anything new. Now we know that he's not saying you don't need any teaching at all. What he's, the reason he gives teachers is to teach that apostolic faith, that apostolic doctrine. So the doctrine that we teach is nothing new. I don't know if you've ever got a flyer in the mail Hey, come to our church. This is not your grandma's church. Like, this is a new church. (laughs) Wherever that church is, steer the opposite direction. You don't want new. You want the apostolic faith. Because Jesus said that his apostles would teach this faith. Again, Ephesians chapter 2 were built on their testimony, which is built on the reality of Jesus Christ and who he actually is and what he came to do. So we don't need new information We need to be committed to and understand and abide in the old information, the information that God has given. We say, as a people, no to new revelation. The Mormon religion started in 1830 when new revelation was given to someone. Right away, someone says, hey, Have you heard of this new revelation God's given? Nope, and don't want to. Because I already know what the old revelation says, and it says there's no more new revelation. Hebrews 1, he's spoken to us in these last days in his son. That's it. I don't need Jesus plus Joseph Smith. I've already got his son, and the apostles taught his son. Shortly after that, Jehovah's Witnesses started different revelation Islam, Muhammad 610, God's new prophet. I don't need a new prophet. I've got the ultimate prophet in Jesus Christ. And again, Hebrews 1 said, God has now in these last days taught us through his son, not his son plus Muhammad. To embrace Muhammad's teachings are an attack on Jesus Christ. And that is an attack on God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. No new revelation. I had a sweet, well-meaning young lady in our ministry back in California, and she was just burdened for um, this girl that she worked with, uh, went to school with, a Mormon girl, and she invited the Mormon girl to church, and this girl came with her, and then the Mormon girl said, um, now I want to invite you to my church. And so this, this young lady was asking me, Andrew, what should I do? And I said, well, I said, I appreciate the question. You don't go. And in our world, well, that's not fair. I mean, she came to your church, you should go to hers. If all truths were equal, I would say you're right. But if God has given us a message about his son, and that message has been preserved and told to be announced, and if God has said, look out for all other messages that seek to compromise that message, then no, I don't need to go to her church. I don't go. If, if I pull out a glass of water and I give it to you and you say, this is the best water I've ever had, which I don't know why you'd say that. Doesn't it all taste the same? I don't know. Th- this water, this is good. If you've tasted what's good and gives life, and then I pull out another glass and it's got poison in it, And I say, here's the glass you've had. Here's the glass of poison. Now, just to truly be fair, you should drink the glass with poison, even though you know this is the glass with life. Just just because, don't you owe it to people? No, I'm sorry. I don't need to taste poison to know the truth. And it's not my truth. This is truth that came to the apostles after Jesus ascended, just like Jesus said it was. Jesus said in the upper room, I'm going to go to the Father, and I'm going to give my Spirit to you to bring to your memory all that I've taught. And the understanding was that those apostles would receive the Spirit, which they then did just a matter of days later. In Acts chapter 2, they received the Holy Spirit, and they wrote about Jesus' ministry and what he did on the cross and the fact that he's coming again, the fact that he rose again, they wrote all of that for his church. And that was Jesus teaching us through them. That's why we say Jesus is teaching through the apostles. This is Jesus' is teaching. The, first John, Ephesians, Philippians, this is all Jesus' is teaching through the apostles. Jesus said this is how it was going to happen. So this is the faith, capital T, capital F. This is our body of belief. Because it's Jesus teaching to us. And so, for some guy to saunter onto the world stage in 610 and say, I'm the new prophet, no. I don't have to give that my attention. Because I already know Jesus has spoken once and for all through his apostles. Don't go anywhere new. So, I get so uncomfortable with this idea about uh, we want to do church a new way. Well, I'm sorry. I hope no one goes. We want the old way, the, old, the apostolic way of doing church. Truth doesn't change. God's revelation, Oh, it's been 2,000 years. Don't we need something else? No. No. Stick to what you know to be true. This is how God said it would happen. Our apostolic faith. That's why John is so incensed. They've left Stop listening to them. They've left. They tell you things about Jesus that I never said, that Jesus never said, that aren't true. Don't listen. Don't buy the lie that the fair thing to do would be to give them their say. No, I'm sorry. So, when people come to your door, with a new teaching about Jesus, and it is new, it is very new. Your heart can break for them, seek to rescue them, but you do not need to say, okay, you come to my church, I'll go to yours. You don't need to taste poison to know the truth. Have a love for them, like God the Father does, and seek to show them Jesus. And listen, let me tell you something exciting. When you communicate your truth to them, the truth to them, there's Holy Spirit power that comes with that. Some of you were converted out of false religion because you heard truth and the Holy Spirit taught you, taught you. So Christians, children, avoid new teaching. We don't need new teaching. We need what Jesus said was true, what the Father said was true, and therefore then what the apostles said was true. Remember Jesus's warning in Mark 13? For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders. So, by the way, if they tell you there's magic tricks, like let me woo you with a magic trick and then I'll tell you some truth. Okay, you did magic, big deal, that doesn't do anything for me. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be on guard. I've told you these things beforehand. That's why the Apostle John, who heard Jesus say that, would then say, hey, you know it's the last time because that's starting to happen now. Don't listen to them. I think this is a good reminder for all of us to continue growing in what God has taught, to know who God the Father actually is, not what other people say about him, but to know who God the Son is, God the Spirit is, to know Christian doctrine, Christian theology. Don't look down on that. The Christian church has taught the same thing about God the Father and God the Son for 2,000 years, and people have shot off and gone into cults from churches and gone into various heretical teaching from churches. Well, we know that you say this, but, but we think this now. Don't listen to those people that peel off. And so to, to know when people are peeling off, you've got to know the core truth. Tonight, we'll talk about the fact that our church is adopting as our doctrinal statement the London Baptist Confession, which is simply people a few hundred years ago saying, this is the old truth. (laughs) We don't need new truth. We're just trying to be very clear. This is the old truth. This is what we hang on to. And so it's really a way of our church saying, we stand on truth that Jesus gave us at the beginning. That's a form of that. So know your faith. There's a book, I forgot to bring it this morning, Uh, for those of you who are parents or grandparents. There's a book, a children's book that teaches them theology with pictures and things like that, I would encourage you to get that and read through it. It's called Theology, T-H-E, Theology, okay? Put them together, theology, okay? It's a really good book to teach your kids, but teach your kids the Christian faith. If they know the Christian faith, they will be better able to not give an audience to error. If they don't know the Christian faith, there could be susceptibility to air. teach them the faith. Teach them what the Bible teaches about sin, about the second coming. Teach them what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, about what the Bible says about the Gospel. Teach them those things so they know those things. So children, do not love the world and do not listen to new teaching. I'll remind you one more time, the fact that we have these verses even before us today is because our, our Father is a good Father. He does what good fathers do. It's who he is. He tells us we're secure in his love and then he tells us what to avoid because he loves us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth that's been preserved. Thank you for the beauty of who you are that you want people to know. Father, we do pray for those even in our area who have a false understanding of who you are, who your son is. We pray that you would open eyes to the truth. That you would allow us to humbly declare the truth to them. To show them the truth. And Father, I think the last thing we'd pray is thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit to know you rightly. What a privilege we have. May we be in awe of what we have and Just like you used Samuel, you used David, and you certainly, obviously, used your own son. Use us to make you known. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.